modern men take up the culture and march forward with great elan, perspicacity, and, uh, and, uh, run over heels, and, uh, wrestle with the forces of evil, and get up their bedding. Uh, oh, yes, uh, yeah, the, tonight uh, we uh, just thought that we ought to salute the forces of evil tonight, uh, as uh, generally they don't get the very good press, as you know. Uh, however, I will say that the forces of evil are highly, uh, highly visible on television. Uh, have you had the uh, feeling recently, any of you out there, that there's been a great slow shift on television? Uh, it's, it's happened very subtly, very slowly, and uh, and all the situation comedies have slowly disappeared. You know, Dick Van Dyke is hitchhiking along that vast road of unemployment, along with Danny Thomas, and uh, Father Knows Best. And that old, remember that old crowd? You know, used to sit there and give the nation its bafolas hour after hour. And then for a brief period, there was a vast, uh, a tremendous, uh, sorry, no, no, who was this in there? Please, Jerry, keep watching. There was a vast a wave, a curious wave of uh, cowboys. You remember all the cowboys that were on? Thousands of them. Remember Jim Arness? Still riding the range there. And he's disappeared. And now television has been taken over by the Los Angeles Police Department. Do you, do you agree? What's the matter? Is it what's going on in there that's got you? <laughs> well, you never know. This the life is getting more exciting by the minute. Good, Jerry. I told you those judo lessons would come in handy eventually. Now you finally did it, huh? I said a karate chop right to the neck of the of the vacuum cleaner there and knocked it. Too bad. Too bad. Too bad. Too bad. Somebody left their galoshes in the studio. Well, it's too bad. And the electric motor is running in the back of a motor-driven, huh? But uh, nevertheless, tonight, uh, we just feel that uh, we've, we've got to, uh, you know, we've got to uh, keep looking at our world. And obviously, television reflects the world that we know. And uh, and it's hardly possible today to turn on TV set without seeing at least five squad cars careening along a road in L.A. It's almost always in Los Angeles. So there's no other policeman working anywhere in the world. I mean, there's no uh, Pittsburgh police. I'd love to see how the, what the Pittsburgh police... Uh, squad cars look like. I, I know every uh, squad car in the L.A. Police Department now. You've, you've seen those, haven't you? Yeah, and, uh, you know, and what do the Pittsburgh police look like? They, I guess they don't have police there. Uh, I've never seen anybody, uh, you know, the uh, uh, Tuscaloosa, Alabama Police Department. Uh, it's always L.A. And it used to be years ago. It used to be New York. Do you remember Naked City? Thousands of uh, guys were running over rooftops in New York. And uh, you remember this, always the final chase scene where uh, they were chasing the fugitive, apparently somewhere over on the west side someplace on the roofs. Now, I don't spend much time on the roofs here in New York, do you? Uh, of course, if you were, you know, if you were shifty and if you were a member of the police, you probably spend a lot of time on the roofs, or at least according to the uh, naked sea. But that's all past, see? And the whole new world today is a kind of clean-limbed crime. Adam 12 type. And, uh, you know, guys always driving around, two cops. This is a classic scene on TV today, talking into the, the radio. Or the radio is always going, Adam 7, Adam 7, code 15, fourth and nine, up. And it's usually a lady. I notice that, the, that uh, it's all, always girls now on that radio. You notice that? Uh, and it sounds like the same girl. Must work all those shows. <laughs> She's sounds exactly the same. It's the same girl. And, uh, and of course, all the code signs, uh, code 7, uh, code 3, we're all very familiar with this. This is the new 
the new look on television. So obviously people must be really interested in crime. I mean, uh, you know, there's thousands of shows about crime on there. The one thing I noticed, though, is that the crimes never seem to resemble the actual crimes that I have been uh, witness to or have heard about. The TV crimes. Just like uh, the TV West doesn't bear much relationship to how it must have been, you know, when old Wyatt Earp was walking down the main street of Tombstone wearing his uh, Sears Roebuck Derby. And uh, he probably would never even recognize. <laughs> you might, would it be kind of a great idea for a for a one act play to have a scene where where two guys are sitting there, you know, on stage, and they're wearing these derbies, and they got these these uh, these flowered uh, suspenders, and uh, they're both sitting there chewing tobacco. And uh, slowly it dawns on you that you're looking at uh, Wyatt Earp and uh, and uh, Doc. Uh, well, let's see. Wyatt Earp would be a good one. Let's see. We'd take Wyatt Earp and uh, who else would we pick? Uh, great gunslinger to West. Uh, Doc, what's his name? There was a Doc something. Doc Holiday. Okay, there you go. They're good enough. So you, you get Doc Holiday and Wyatt Earp are sitting there, see? And uh, magically, they have been uh, brought back to life and they're sitting in this. They still think they're in hell. You know, of course, Doc Holiday and Wyatt Earp would have to be in hell, you know, especially Doc. And uh, the two of them are sitting there and one, one says the other. I'll be damned. How are you, Doc? Ain't seen you in a long time. At which point, uh, Doc would say, Mind your business, Wyatt. Ever since you turned lawman, I ain't had much talk to you. At which point, uh, Wyatt would say, Oh, I don't have no, none, none, no lip from you, Doc. You, you never was much of a dentist. I can see why you turned the uh, gunslinger. You, you was a hell of a man with a dental tray. You just bad. I, I remember a guy had a set of dentures from you, man. They wouldn't even cut an apple. And, you, you know, Doc uh, Holiday was a dentist. Uh, went into another business there. So the two of them are sitting there, see, and and somebody then, a mysterious a mysterious uh, attendant, you know, they're always referred to in the playbill as attendant, attendant uh, played by an up-and-coming actor. No lines, of course, but he's an attendant. He's got a white coat on, and he pushes into the scene uh, a, tele- a color television set. And the... Uh, Doc looks over at the guy in the white coat. Immediately, of course, Doc, being a gunslinger, his hand goes to his his waist, but he realizes that he is unarmed. And uh, somewhere along in hell, they've taken his his equalizer away from him now, which is why he's really having trouble down there, because they're sticking in pitchforks in him. And if he had that old old Colton Wesson with him or that Smith and Ding Dong, he would show him a thing or two, you know. So here he is. uh, He reaches instinctively, though. He reaches for his... For his, uh, for his equalizer, and it ain't there. See, and his hand goes back, and these are all little bits of stage business. We don't want to bother you with stage business. And uh, Wyatt uh, pushes his hat back in the back of his head, you know, and takes a big chaw of his tobacco, and uh, he spits on the floor, Tui. And he said, uh, what do you think that thing is, Doc? Doc says, I know rightly. It looks like some kind of a commode. Looks like some kind of a glass front commode where you put your shirts in. Had one of them at uh, Denver, in a hotel I was in Denver. You just pull in knobs in the front there, and it swings out, and you put shirts in. And at which point, uh, Wyatt says, it don't look like no commode to me. It's got some kind of a light shining out the front of it. Some kind of light. They must have some kind of kerosene lamp in the back there. It's all lit up. Maybe it's one of them uh, dioramas. Going to have a little, uh, little historical diorama here, maybe uh, scenes of the Civil War. And, uh, you know, they had dioramas back in Doc's. Day, or do you know what a diorama is? It has nothing to do with birth control. It's a t- totally different thing. So at which point, uh, you better look that up. That's your your uh, 
your work for tonight. It's Diorama, D-I-A, Diorama, R-A-M-A. Look it up. It's almost like a panorama, but not quite. And so Doc says, I'll bet, I'll bet we're going to see scenes of Civil War. I, I one time saw one in one day. I was in St. Louis one time. I saw one of things, paid uh, five cents to see it. It wasn't worth it, but it was kind of interesting to see. They come on there and they have pictures of, uh, what's his name, uh, uh, General Ulysses S. Grant. And uh, kind of interesting. We'll probably see scenes of Civil War here. And uh, this, this, the thing is flickering. And all of a sudden, on comes the theme from Gunsmoke. Now, any of you can give me the theme from Gunsmoke? How did it sound? Do you know it? Can you hum it to me? You don't know it? Well, listen, uh, anybody who's with a modern life, I mean, has to know these things are ingrained in your bone. But da da, you know, they, you can hear the sound of the Western da 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 dee 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 da 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 dee 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 dee. By the way, there was no music at all during the West that sounded remotely like that. This music was created out of whole cloth by an American composer roughly uh, in 1932. I'm serious. By a single composer, and from that time on, that has been called music of the West. So Doc looks at me and says, uh, My God, that commode is playing music. And at that point, Wyatt gets up, see, and starts to circle around it because he ain't going to get attacked by nobody from his blind side. And he figures this thing here is not only alive, it's going to jump at him any minute now, see. And you know how long it takes a color TV set to warm up, right? Sometimes two or three weeks, you know, go like that, see. And all of a sudden, on comes this, you know, how color TV set comes out. You know, it's all furry. And, and uh, with that doc jump back, says, my God, it's alive, it's alive, it's coming at me. And with that point, why it's easy, Doc, easy, Doc. I told you, now, watch, watch a minute now. We're going to see Gettysburg here. I saw it just like that. Come on with Gettysburg. And with that, you suddenly see James Arness. You know how the opening scenes of, uh, what is it, Bonanza? Yeah, we're, we're doing all TV shows. The opening scene is Arness riding like mad over the prairie, see? And he's, uh, with that, Doc, uh, Doc looks over at, at Wyatt. He says, my God, what, what is that there? And with that, Wyatt looks down, and he looks real careful, so I can't tell rightly what it is. It appears to be some man riding a horse. My God, he don't know how to ride. Look away, he sits that horse. Got them arms up in the air, that guy's going to get thrown right on his you-know-what. A minute now, that horse stumbled. He is done for. I don't know where that man learned to ride a horse. And look at them funny clothes. Never saw it. I hear you seen anything like that, Doc? No, I never seen nothing like that. I know what that is there. And, of course, they're sitting there dumbfounded watching an episode out of Tombstone. And Wyatt says, my God, look at that town there. I'll be damned there's a town there. And Doc says, can you make out what that lettering says on that building over there? Saloon. That's a saloon. My God, it's a saloon. That don't look like no saloon I've ever seen. And, of course, the whole point of this, this thing is the confrontation of reality and the intermixing of the dream. And I'll guarantee you this, by the end of the scene, by the end of the, uh, the whole point of the play is by the end of the, the sequence, the, the one-hour bonanza, Doc and Wyatt would be digging it all the way. And one of them kept saying, you know, I got, we got to see this next week. Can we talk to that guy in that white coat? That was awful good, you know. I kind of like that, especially when that guy come on there with that funny hat there. And, they, and, and did you notice the shooting? He said, I never saw such shooting in my life like that. 
such fun as shooting. You know, that guy held that gun like that. All together now, gang, it is time to sing. Now. No more charming, Jack, I may not be spout. No more leeching at the one-punch No more do we bring a for a two. Hold it, Bill, there. That's very good. Uh, if you can reset that. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I'll tell you, crime is rampant. Which reminds me, this is WOR, New York. And uh, we have a couple of little dinghies here. Hey, do you have, uh, excuse me, not yet. Uh, we got other business here. Do you have the uh, TV guide spot in there, please? Uh, well, the uh, public is panting. They can hardly wait to hear what it's, uh, here, bring it on. Come on, that's it. It goes in the machine. Press the button there. <laughs> you do that very good, Bill. In the current issue of TV Guide magazine, a look at television's old movie revival. In the past year, the medium has been dusting off its reels of films from the 30s and 40s and coming up with some interesting viewer reactions. A report this week in TV Guide. In the same issue, a look back to television's golden days of comedy when Sid Caesar and Ernie Kovacs were household words, and everybody's favorite uncle was named Milty. This week, TV Guide's cover story profiles Lucy and Desi Jr. In the 20 years since they appeared on the first cover of TV Guide, television has changed dramatically. Lucille Ball talks about her reactions to the changes in TV Guide, America's biggest-selling weekly magazine, TV Guide, on sale everywhere. Hey, that's enough of that. Get it out, you guys. Yeah. Little tinkly things there. You know, I saw a guy the other day on the E-train reading TV Guide and moving his lips. Oh, you don't know. You don't... Oh, hey, uh, we have a couple of commercials here. Let's see. We got... Uh, Valentine. We have... Uh, oh, yes. It's money-saving time again at your local General Tire store during their Great White Wall clearance sale on the discontinued design General Jet Tire. Discontinued the design. Yeah. Listen to this. Now you can get a pair of uh, long mileage General White Wall tires for only $25.90. That's for the popular size. And everybody loves this. It's, you know, it's way up on the charts now. It's for popular size 650-13 tubeless plus $1.73 federal excise tax per tire. And they're built with the General Tire quality throughout, which means it's a beautiful tire to... You can bounce it, and it's round, and it's a great tire to roll down a road and all that. See your local General Tire headquarters displaying the big red General Tire G at Herb Jordan's General Tire of New Jersey. See Frank McDonald, Route, 1, Route 17 and Union Avenue in East Rutherford. It's exciting, East Rutherford. It's known as Watch Us Grow. A big sign there. In fact, they've overflowed into Queens, halfway into Flushing now. They're all the way up into Connecticut. Let's see, uh, House of Chairs. Hey, you know, that's interesting. Have you, know, have you ever noticed uh, how many towns when you go into to a town there's a sign that says, Watch us grow, growing by leaps and bounds. Grow with uh, East Fig Newton. Have you seen that kind of stuff? And, uh, and I, I've never been able to understand why a town wants to grow. You know? <laughs> I just, just, it's never been quite explained to me why a town should want to grow. Because you know what it causes. First thing that happens when a town grows, they put in parking meters. Then they start towing cars away. Then they start towing you away. Next thing you know, they, they level the entire main street. 
and put up a gigantic high-rise. And then they raise your taxes. And, they, and you're still living next to the sign that says, watch us grow. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, but I've always thought, you know, though, that, that, that television uh, it really reflects our time greatly. And, and since uh, there's been waves of TV programming has disappeared and come back, I thought tonight uh, I would uh, give you a little, a little uh, illustration here of uh, what the crime is really like as opposed to television crime. Now, do you have my uh, thing up there, please? Wouldn't it be kind of great if, if, uh, if somebody put on a crime newscast? You know, real crimes. The way really, the way crime... You'll never see this kind of stuff on, uh, on uh, Adam 12 or on any of the crime shows because these are real crimes, and real crimes usually have no logic whatsoever. And so now it is time for the WOR Crime Report. And now, our first report on the crime log of tonight. Washington, the police report on James N. Allen's admission to the hospital for treatment of second-degree burns said that he was assaulted with a bowl of hot spaghetti. Allen said Wednesday he was sleeping in his apartment when a mysterious unknown woman dumped the spaghetti on him. There have been no arrests. The woman is not available for comment. All right, get it set up in there. You mean it didn't reset? What's the matter with the equipment here? It's all falling apart. Well, then, get the other one on, then. Throw that out, get the other one on. See, I, I work so hard and nothing happens. All right, you want to hear another one? All right, here we go. South all right, everybody, let's dance. South End on Sea, England. Police were baffled at why the burglar alarm at a tailor shop rang. They searched the shop without finding anything. And then, as they were leaving, one noticed that one of the mannequins in the display window blinked at him. John McDade, the unsuccessful burglar, pleaded guilty to burglary and was fined $23.50 and given a six-month suspended sentence. The mannequin blinked as the officers were leaving the burglared store. All right, everybody, let's dance. Yes. Dog catchers in two cities abandoned their regular work this week to give chase to bank robbers, in each case chasing the men in their radio-equipped dog-catching trucks. In Milton, Massachusetts... Dog officer John Lank was riding in his truck Thursday when he heard a police radio dispatch reporting a robbery in nearby Canton. He spotted the car and gave chase with 15 yapping dogs in the back of his truck, radioing his location to police as he hurtled down the road. Soon the alleged getaway car had a string of police vehicles on its tail, led by Lank in his dog catcher's truck. The two men in the car stopped and were hauled out by Lank, who turned them over to arriving police officers. Police said the two were armed with a 45 caliber gun. In Ann Arbor, Michigan, dog catcher Steve Hill also overheard a police report of a bank robbery Thursday. Hill spotted the car pulling out of a parking lot and gave chase, again with 15 to 20 dogs barking in the back of his truck. Police said several shots were fired at Hill, some striking his truck and missing all the dogs. He was not injured. Patrol cars soon joined Hill's truck, and they finally captured the guys in an alley. One of them complained. He said someone should have given that guy driving that dog truck a traffic citation. The guy drove like he was a nut. Everybody, let's dance. Yes, crime is everywhere. And now, from the editorial section of the New York Times, Thursday, March 15th, 1973. To the editor, may I alert your readers to an apparently new and entirely ingenious little racket. My wife and I had just put a subway token into the slot of a turnstile in the 125th Street and 7th Avenue station of the downtown IRT. And we're pressing against the bar, ready to go through when the train was coming in, when suddenly a lad of eight or nine darted under her arm, placed his mouth against the turnstile slot, and sucked vigorously. As she stood there bewildered, 
He moved swiftly to the next turnstile, where another woman had just deposited a token and repeated the procedure. He then ran off and up the stairs. At this point, the woman in the change booth emerged and said to my wife and the other woman, You let him steal your token, you stoops. Then, using a long knife, she pushed down into the slot and, as she explained, shoved the wads of paper that the lad had inserted previously to catch tokens before they activated the mechanism that allowed the passenger to enter. The lightweight tokens, it seems, respond easily to the suction. The change booth woman was gracious enough to permit the two passengers to go through the gate without having to pay again. However, others may not be as lucky. With tokens costing 35 cents, the youngster is doing pretty well financially, running up and down sucking coins out of the turnstiles of New York subways. When is this going to stop? All right, everybody, let's dance. Yes, now that's, you see. Oh, you want to hear another one? Italy, it's happening everywhere. The main street of this small town, Artina, Italy, near Rome, was almost deserted just before 1.30 p.m. yesterday. A car screeched to a stop. A masked armed man jumped out, rushed to the bank, ran headlong into the plate glass door, bounced back into the arms of two accomplices with a bloody nose and two teeth flying out on the road. The bank had been closed three minutes ahead of time the door was shut. The door gave us a sound like the strings of a violin, cashier Rolando Tatini, 38, reported. Awkward they are holding their submachine gun and pistols. The accomplices dragged the car man back to his car. He was bleeding through his mask. I saw him. His sunglasses were broken, and he dropped one of his guns. Then they sped away and disappeared in the Ferrari. Tetti explained that the bank occasionally closes early when there are no customers. He just ran into the window. Smack dab right into the stained end of that beautiful piece of glass. Pow! No sunglasses. His gun was broken. Two teeth were out. And now he knows something. All right, everybody, let's dance. And now, on the mysterious Spanish scene, Madrid, Matador Luis Segura was planning a comeback this year. A matador. But it's doubtful anyone thought he would be making it in the middle of the city park. But the Segura's seemingly good fortune, a runaway bull forced the matador's debut Friday in the Plaza de la España. As police told it, the bull mysteriously escaped from a truck, carrying it across town to an arena. As it rampaged through the park, Large numbers of people were there on hand, eating their sandwiches and drinking wine. One of the most popular centers of the capital, the bull rushed through the park. Out stepped Segura, suddenly, out of a doorway, armed with his cape, completely dressed in his bullfighting uniform, and carrying his sword. To the cheers of hundreds of passers-by, Segura let the bull make several passes, executed them gracefully, and a couple of beautiful maneuvers, and then he dispatched with one fell swoop. He executed the charging animal with his sword, a magnificently performed maneuver to the cries of Olay from the crowd. Police said the investigation is now underway to determine how the bull mysteriously escaped from the truck. They were also trying to find out just how Segura happened to be passing by the park at that very moment, carrying his sword, dressed completely in his bullfighting uniform, carrying his cape, and equipped with full fighting gear. It was a great and very mysterious coincidence. Everybody, let's dance. <laughs> well, now you just want to hear what the crime is really like. I mean, crime. I mean, you don't you don't see that kind of stuff on uh, on uh, Adam Twelve, the mysterious case of the snookered bullfighter. Now, uh, let's see. Do you have another one of those uh, fun little uh, commercials in there for us, Bill? Please. Hey, this was in here yesterday. Wilbur Gillis sitting right where you're sitting, and I get him a Valentine beer, and you know Wilbur, he spreads his racing form all over the bar, big mess all over, and he's sitting there, and after a while he says, Connor, my fortune is made, I'm rich, 
so I naturally ask him how come, and he says, there's this horse running in his seventh race at a hundred to one, called Three Rings. He says, all my life I've been drinking Valentine beer, and Valentine stands for purity, body, and flavor, the Three Rings. Now here's this horse I can't miss. So, Wilbur takes all his money out of the bank, and he bets it to win. Now guess what happens? The horse wins. So many people have had this same hunch about Valentine and the Three Rings, they bent the horse down to where he only pays two forty, and Wilbur ain't rich after all. Some world, huh? Hey, let me get you another Valentine. On the house. Yeah, okay. Valentine beer is a product of the Falstaff Brewing Corporation, St. Louis, Missouri, and other cities. And if it says do in the, you know, style of the commercial, it's pretty good. I know whether I dropped enough cheese, though, did I? Huh? Nothing like beer. Uh, let's see, uh, how you guys stand for prunes tonight, huh? Dr. Jacobson, if you want to do anything. Uh, nurse, have you got anything on Say, fella, is this your wife's face, baby? Yeah. Listen, don't worry. It's easy. My wife's our number five. Here, have a prune. <laughs> now, look, fella, there's nothing to it. Have another prune. <laughs> hey, nurse, this guy's hysterical. <laughs> Mention prunes, and people just naturally break up. Uh, maybe they still don't know that pound for pound, prunes have more iron, niacin, and vitamin B2 than the six leading fresh fruits. And eight times the vitamin A of the most popular fresh fruit. They're even good for your complexion. It's about time people gave another thought to the California prune. The funny fruit that does so much for you. Hey, fella, look! You get three kids for the price of one! Have another prune! <laughs> <laughs> I just tell you, damn, I think it's prune. <laughs> uh, yeah, there was a word, by the way, from the California Prune Advisory Board. They give advice on prunes. You know, if you're, you know, if you're suffering from, uh, you know, prune trauma, you go to them and they'll give you a little advice on how to handle your prune problem. By the way, speaking of uh, food, uh, we have with us, of course, tonight the House of Chan. And, uh, yes, the House of Chan is with us tonight. And I got a letter from somebody who said, uh, Shepard, uh, I'm coming to New York, and is the House of Chan that good? Well, uh, that's a leading question. I don't know what you call good. <laughs> but, uh, yes, I can say this. Any, any restaurant that has survived 35 years in the heart of Manhattan has got to be serving good wonton soup. Because uh, you remember the great uh, wonton soup riots of the late 50s that cleaned a lot of bad uh, Chinese restaurants out of uh, the Midtown area? Don't you remember them? They were running around burning down Chinese restaurants. Well, I would like to recommend the House of Chan, which is really superb food. They're open seven days a week, and they have a great location, which is at 52nd Street and 7th Avenue. Now, you can't get more in the center of the world than that. In fact, uh, there is a rumor that the Axis upon which the world spins go right through their kitchen. Because right up there, you know, the whole world is spinning right. Well, you know how New Yorkers are. They believe these things. I mean, you know, they, it, really, it really offends them to realize that the center of the United States is someplace out in Kansas, out in the boondocks, you know. But uh, nevertheless, uh, the House of Chan is open seven days a week, and they have a great bar. And uh, they uh, are open to midnight. And if you're uh, in a hurry, if you're going to make a show in town, you just tell them. And they'll lay it on you. The food is great. I recommend it, truly. And, uh, you know, speaking of, uh, of, uh, of uh, Chinese food, 
uh, it isn't often that you find, you know, music. Uh, for example, very few people write music, say, about uh, mm, Greek food. Ever heard any songs about Greek food? Well, you know, I, I mean, let's be, let's be honest tonight. I'm not putting down Greek food. People don't write about it, though, you know, in music. Uh, we have here a, a real classic collector's item. A guy said that he was looking through a lot of old records in a joint over in Jersey the other day, and he bought a record for three cents. And uh, <laughs> he says, I bought it for three cents. And he says, I made it. He saw it was a kind of really rotten, bad record that uh, would appeal to your aesthetic sensibilities. And uh, I would like you to listen just to a little bit of this. Very few people write songs about chow mein. No more chow mein, yaka mein, no beef out. No more lychee, no one wants soup. No more soup, we bring a bowl of soup. We no more chicken in the yellow food. <laughs> yeah, that's bad. I could cry all night in sorrow. I could moan all day in pain. Because <laughs> the Chinaman gave the place up. And my life just ain't the same. Life ain't the same. The Chinese restaurant moved out of the neighborhood. Listen, the guy's gonna kill himself. No more chow mein. No more chow mein, yakamein, a bean sprout. No more lychee, not a one-pound soup. No more lychee, bring a bowl of sous-wee. No more kissing in the yellow booth. No more kissing in the yellow booth. Under the neon lights, they always have a chance. There's a fortune teller lady crying in her fortune case Cause the Chinaman gave the place up Now she shivers in shame Cause she lives there long It'll be in vain Cause what is this life If there's no chow mein No chow mein, what's life? No more chow mein Rock-a-pick-a-thing-thing that's very authentic Chinese music, too. Of course, this was translated, you know, from the Mandarin. Yes, it was a very popular 17th century haiku. This record is worth every bit of three cents. Easily. No more chow mein. Rick a pick a beef sprout. No more licking at the one. Just imagine these two little cockamamie guys writing this thing. Hey, I got an idea. I'm gonna song about no more chow mein, huh? Okay, I'll tell you, Manny. Rick a pick a beef. We put some Chinese men. Now that's a song about something. If the Chinamen don't come back and make chop suey and chow mein, I'm gonna die. Now that's a real thing, you know. I'll tell you. I mean, I know many guys whose lives, whose lives ended the day that some bar closed up in the neighborhood. <laughs> uh, I, I didn't, you know, want to totally... Uh, hey, speaking of, uh, of great uh, cultural movements here, we're going to do uh, two benefits over this weekend. You know, we keep getting uh, letters from people asking, you know, uh, when is our next live performance? But we're doing a benefit at Villan Villanova. Villanova, that's an elegant school. Villanova this weekend, uh, Villanova University at 8 o'clock, 8 p.m. in the beautiful, fragrant Fieldhouse. That's the 30th, Friday, this Friday, the fragrant Fieldhouse. Oh, that, that Fieldhouse has seen many disasters. <laughs> Villanova, you know, outside of Philly there. And we're going to do another one, and uh, this is going to be Saturday night, March the 31st at 8 p.m. in the theater of the New Providence High School. We're going to do it. 
benefit for the new Providence High School sophomore class. <laughs> they need a benefit. You know. Get new crib sheets and all that stuff there. You know. And uh, that's going to be Saturday night, New Providence High, 35 Pioneer Drive, New Providence, New Jersey. New Providence. Well, that old Providence wasn't so good. We need a new one, you know. You know, uh, speaking of uh, of uh, crime, and uh, it's all it's all around us, you know. That uh, the real thing never looks like uh, the TV version, not at all. Like the other day, uh, uh, you know, I saw, you see little crimes happen from time to time. Like uh, the other day, there was a guy uh, I saw a guy really bugged that uh, somebody had come along and had stolen two of his hubcaps from his car. And uh, he was walking around real mad, saying, uh, you know, walking around looking at his car and yelling and saying, oh, boy, what a town to live in. Man, I'll tell you, this is really, really bad news. And a uh, cop come over. And I was right there, standing right, you know, when all this happened, the policeman came over. He said, hey, he said, uh, look what happened here. He said, this car is parked right here, and a guy stole two hubcaps right off of it, right in broad daylight. Cops was very interesting. Uh, he said, well, you know, you can't watch every hubcap in town. And uh, he's walking around, and all of a sudden I see this guy's face get kind of scared. And the cop is looking at the car, see? And he starts taking out his book. You know, he's going to make a report, at which point the guy says, Oh, don't worry about it. Don't uh, don't worry about it. It's okay, you know. <laughs> just a couple of hubcaps. What the heck? I can get them at Sears, you know. Don't worry about it. I said, Wait a minute. Just a minute here now. Uh, you were complaining, and uh, you're right. Uh, we ought to do something about this hubcap thing. He says, I'm going to make out a report. Uh, what time did you park your car here? And uh, what kind of hubcaps? Let's see. Uh, you have a Chevy. Yes, I see. You have two Chevrolet hubcaps. Uh -huh. Now, let me take a look. Uh, license. Can I see your registration? And the guy said, well, look, come on. I mean, you know, just a couple of hubcaps. And it began to build. And uh, pretty soon the cop says, out. Let me see your registration, buddy. It stopped from being sir to buddy. Let me see that registration, buddy. And the guy takes out his wallet. He's looking real scared. You know, I could see a lot of our... Look, it's just a couple of hubcaps. And he takes out his wallet and gives him the registration. There's a long pregnant pause. And the cop walks back to the squad car. And you know that little thing they do with the with the radio? Uh, he talks into the microphone. And all of a sudden you hear, wow, 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 At that point, he walks over and says, uh, <clears throat> would you uh, step back into my vehicle, sir, and uh, sit in the back seat. And uh, we'll uh, go downtown and talk about uh, your hubcaps. The guy's you know, shaking, gets in the car, and away they go. I said, now that kind of scene. <laughs> what, what was it about? What had happened? What did they find out when they called down? Uh, probably, you know, the guy had four bushel baskets of, uh, of uh, parking tickets, which he had not paid. <laughs> no, 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 because, no, it couldn't be a stolen car, because no guy with a stolen car wrap on him is going to stand around and holler at a cop about, no, no way. But uh, they probably called down there, and it turned out since 1932, this guy's now paid a parking ticket. And now they got seven bushel baskets of them down there. <laughs> well, you know, it's a kind of great little moment, just the kind of thing you don't see in the, in the Adam 12. Uh, you know, the, the real kind. Because usually when guys say that they've been had in Adam 12, they have been. You know, they really have been. Of course, you, you have to learn to, to believe in things. And I, I like a man that believes in things. I, I really do. And tonight we have a great, uh, a great uh, little announcement to make. You know, this is. Did you know what week this is? To, to, to me, it's a very important announcement. You don't know what week this is. 
Now, I'm not one of these guys that come on and say, hey, do you know, it's National Pickle Week. You know, that's always done on radio shows. Not at all. This is a very special week. This is National Rutabaga Week. And, uh, yes, Rutabaga. And uh, I, uh, I personally, uh, I am a defender of the Rutabaga. And uh, I, I hate to see, you know, the Rutabaga. And I, I'm, I'm, not the, I'm not an advocate. I'm not going to offend you by advocating anything here. Uh, not that I'm worried about offending you. But I say that uh, that men who like the rutabaga should be allowed to eat them. Do you agree? But do you know that this is not the case? Are you aware that, that among the vegetable world, rutabaga is one of the very few vegetables that uh, creates actual animosity among non-rutabaga eaters? I mean, to the point where they want to ban it. And in fact, if you think I'm kidding, here, now look at this. Here I am, a rutabaga fan. And, I, and there's no place in town where you can get a decent rutabaga here in New York. No way. Uh, here is from Dover, Delaware. Now you'd think a town like Dover, Delaware would have a little tolerance, wouldn't you? Right. Yeah, yeah, I, well, you know, after all, Delaware is one of the original 13 states. And uh, wasn't America founded on uh, tolerance of other guys' religious differences and all that jazz? Isn't that true? And Delaware, I think, was the first state in the Union, wasn't it? Which one was the first one in the Union? Yeah, I think it was Delaware, wasn't it? I'm, sh I'm ashamed. Uh, listen to this. This is from the Delaware, the State News, Del Dover, Delaware. And this is the newspaper. just came out. I'm stunned. It was sent to me by uh, another fellow victim. And the headline, it's in the letters to the editor department. The headline, which is called the mail shoot, uh, headline reads, People who eat rutabagas are swine. And uh, here's the letter to the editor. I don't like rutabagas. It says, Dear Editor, I do not like rutabagas. I have never liked rutabagas. Their awful color turns me off, and the smell of cooking rutabagas sickens me, and the taste is rotten. I think the world would be a better place without them, and I try to convince people of that, but they don't listen. In fact, the sale of rutabagas keeps increasing in the Dover, Delaware area. Why, just a while ago, they opened a store in Dover that sells nothing but rutabagas, pandering to the taste of rutabaga eaters. Now, some of the restaurants in Dover have rutabagas as an occasional side dish, but it's getting to be more and more plentiful. One in particular offered rutabagas as a main course. I cannot stand it. Walking past a place where I know they're serving rutabagas, when I smell that smell, ruins my appetite for the rest of the day, and I know I speak for thousands of others. Isn't that true? Every letter to the editor guy believes that he speaks for thousands of others. He, he believes this. I speak for thousands. And now I have got an idea which I have talked over with many of my friends who feel the same way that I do. In fact, I know at least 20 people who feel the way I do about rutabaga eating, and I'm going to get a group together. We'll go to a town council meeting and demand a law against the selling or serving of rutabagas in public places in Dover. I believe the mayor will go along with us, especially if we emphasize how the smell of cooking rutabagas detracts from the natural beauty of our town, Dover, Delaware. And if we say that what we want to do is to keep Dover free from big city problems, pollutions, and bad smells. We represent the community as a whole, and we say get rid of rutabagas. I'm starting to write a speech right now which I'm going to deliver to the mayor. Quote, people who eat rutabagas should be put in a field with the other swine. Signed a disgusted reader. Well, I don't know. Well, all I can say is that this is an example of what I've had to go against most of my life because I'm one of those poor unfortunates who, for no reason at all, and I'm the only one in my family, my mother hated rutabagas, my brother wouldn't even talk about them. 
my old man would laugh when they were mentioned. He thought the name Rutabaker was funny. Somewhere along the line, I think it was at a penny supper once, in the Warren G. Harding School, I had a taste of a rutabaga casserole with bits of uh, bacon in it. I was about nine at the time. Instantly, I was hooked. I loved, and I do love, and I enjoy rutabagas immensely. And from time to time, I go into restaurants. Like the other day, I went into this fancy restaurant. I'll tell you where it was. The Four Seasons, right? That's pretty fancy, right? And uh, I asked them what vegetables they had on the menu. And this elegant uh, waiter says, uh, Sir, we have, uh, we have the cream spinach, and uh, we have, uh, we have a Belgian carats, as the baby ones, uh, done in the glaze sauce, a la anglaise. And I said, you got any rutabagas? He says, excuse me, sir. I said, do you have any rutabagas today on the menu? He says, sir, I'm sorry. We do not carry that sort of thing here. And he walked away. He just turned around and walked away. Well, it's this sort of thing that happens to rutabaga fans throughout life. There are millions of tiny little, uh, how can I say it, biases and prejudices. I also am a, I am a, I'm an addict of the yellow turnip. Better notice the turnip. You can't, uh, you can't convince anybody of that. But I, I'll bet, I'll bet you have never seen your favorite vegetable denounced in public print by an angry letter writer who was forming a committee to do away with it. That's right. You've never seen a, you know, a dedicated group to stomp out the mashed potato, you know, tromp on the acorn squash, you know, do away with the French cut string beans. Rutabaga, yes. There's so many things in this life. Yeah, hatred. What makes you think that we're ever going to do away with war with this kind of attitude around? And this came from the first State of the Union. 